The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Two guests on the show today. Neither one of them is Chris Cooley. Cooley's flying back from Wyoming to here, to D.C., for the weekend for a friend's wedding. Uh, so he's not going to be on the show today. We'll figure out when when he can jump on. There's a possibility he'll be on with me Friday uh, and maybe either Monday or Tuesday. I will see him this weekend. Uh, he is... Uh, going to play golf uh, with me tomorrow, and uh, I think he might even be staying at my house at some point over the weekend. But he is back in town for this wedding, and we just have to figure out what makes sense uh, for him to jump on the podcast. But Jay Gruden will be on with me coming up in the next segment, and then after that, Ben Standig will be on the show uh, as well. And the reason I asked Ben to jump on is there was some news today From Ashburn, Uh, J.P. Finley this morning reported that Chase Young, who was expected to practice today and begin that 21-day clock of being activated um, off the injured reserve or off that uh, preseason pup list, uh, Chase Young is not going to practice today. The team source that uh, that J.P. had said there's no setback necessarily, but don't expect the clock uh, to start today, meaning no practice today. The team wants to be cautious and have one more doctor visit. Uh-oh. That's my reaction to it. We'll find out what Ben thinks uh, after we talk to Jay Gruden coming up in the next segment. We'll see if Ben thinks it's a uh, reason to be concerned. Look, this was more than just an ACL. This was a complicated repair of the ACL. We've known that uh, now for a few months. And when Ron Rivera said at the beginning of training camp, you know, he's probably not going to be back until week six, thinking the injured reserve thing was a six-week thing uh, when it was a four-week thing. We knew that it was going to be at least six weeks. They're going to take this slowly. My expectations, since Ron said that, were very low for Chase Young this year. You know, we went from having this offseason of talking about how big of a year it was going to be for Chase Young, assuming that he would be healthy and ready to go, to now really looking at next year as the big year for Chase Young. There's only so much you can expect because by the time he gets back, they're going to be halfway through the season. And they're going to take it slowly with him as well. But we'll find out more um, from Ben uh, when we talk to him. 
There is something specific to the Washington defense that I want to talk about here in the open of the show. I'll get to that in a few minutes, and then we'll get to Jay Gruden and to Ben Standig. Real quickly, the Wizards beat the Pistons last night 120-99. to Detroit stinks. I understand that. Indiana, the team they beat in the opener, isn't very good. They did beat Chicago on Friday night. They lost to Cleveland in overtime. We're going to know a lot more about the Wizards uh, in uh, you know a week or two um, after they go through a stretch of Boston, Philadelphia twice, Brooklyn, and Memphis. My God, has John ja Morant been tearing up uh, this league so far this year? I think he's averaging like 36 a game. He had he had near 50 uh, last week against Houston. Understood, but they beat Brooklyn the other night, and he had like 38. Anyway, um, I'm getting sidetracked. I have an early hunch, and I'm sure I'll end up being wrong about the Wizards. I think they're going to end up being better than most people think. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. 42, 43, 44 wins and pushing that sixth seed in the East. Being in contention for it. Most people have them in contention for the play-in round. So 7 through 10. And not everybody had them making that play-in round in what is a very deep Eastern Conference. There are a couple of signs early. Health will be everything. Obviously, you know, uh, Porzingis and Beal being healthy for them will be critical. But if those two players are healthy, and Beal uh, had some back tightness last night, actually missed some of the game, only played 22 minutes. But assuming that those two players play a lot of games, you know, 72 games plus, and are healthy, they've got some really good supporting pieces. Kyle Kuzma's a really good player. He really is. I don't know what happened in L.A. It's a weird situation with LeBron. Kuzma here has been terrific. He had 25 last night, six rebounds. Um, didn't knock down a three, but, man, every time he shoots, it's, it, it's a good stroke. I think it's going in. Uh, Abdia is an outstanding defensive player. I mean, he really shut Cade Cunningham down for the most part last night. And then they've got a, a really good combination of players that they can work in for either significant minutes, like the minutes that Will Barton played last night, and I love Barton's game so far. Man, you learn a lot when you watch these players night in and night out versus just seeing them occasionally or in the postseason. You learn the most about players in the postseason. Will Barton's a better ball handler than I thought. He's a better passer than I thought. He also shot it really well last night. I've seen him shoot it well before. He had 16 points last night, four assists. I think it was two steals and two blocks in like less than 30 minutes. And he made, I think it was four for six from behind the arc. Uh, He's a good player. Gafford is a good player. DeLon Wright is a good defender and a good player. Hachimura is a good player with big-time upside. I don't know. I, I think that they are better than most believe they are. That's it on the Wizards. That's it. I wanted to talk about the Washington defense. And what got me thinking about the Washington defense is some of their lofty rankings in various areas right now through seven games. But this was Aaron Rodgers yesterday on his weekly appearance on the Pat McAfee show. A quick pivot back to the Washington game. What exactly do you think? What were they doing defensively? I, I give their defense credit, honestly. Like, what were they doing, I guess, to give you guys a tough time for your offense? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> then what was it? People are going to be so mad with your answer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so mad about it. Look, I mean, they didn't have to do anything. They play. They rushed four guys. They 
played cover four. They sprinkled a couple weak inserts and a couple man coverages, and that was it. So what do you think it is? They got good. They got good players, but as far as like schematically, what did they do? Just lined up and played. Think whatever you want about the way Aaron Rodgers answered that and the giggles from the gallery, you know, if you think it was condescending or it was slighting of Washington's defense. I don't really think it was. I think he's just very frustrated with his own team right now. And look, I mean, it's a compliment to Washington right now if they don't have to be, you know, fancy schematically to generate pressure or to stop the run. You know, if you can get pressure with four guys and you don't have to crowd the box to stop the run, that is a defensive coordinator dream. But the Aaron Rodgers comments on the McAfee show yesterday got me to thinking about what this defense is right now. Is it a good defense or does it just look good because of the opponents that they have faced recently? And I looked into this a little bit and I just want to share some of my thoughts on this. I actually think right now they're a pretty good defense. They have good players up front. It's really hard to deny that John Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat, first-round picks, aren't playing excellent football and that we didn't think they were capable of playing this kind of football. Allen's done it you know, for a couple of years running. Deron Payne's having his best season, contract year, and Montez Sweat has really stepped it up this season. Jamin Davis is talented. He's an athlete. He is playing better football. Cole Holcomb is okay. The secondary has clearly improved with, you know, sort of the addition by subtraction. No William Jackson, Benjamin St. Juice playing in a position that really suits his talent, being a long-armed, you know, physical outside corner. Uh, and Wild Goose, from a coverage standpoint, has looked pretty good in the slot. Again, that's more of a recent thing with Wild Goose in terms of the, the coverage thing. Uh, I think their safeties are, are playing well. You know, McCain and Forrest and Curl. I mean, we've known for a while that Curl is a good player, and we've known since McCain arrived here that the coaching staff looks and views him as a very high, high IQ kind of coach on the field uh, in the secondary. But I looked at a few things that I want to share with you. Number one is this. Washington right now is the number two third down defense in the league. Number two, 29.6% conversions by their opponents on third down. Second only to Tennessee in the league right now. Last year, 31st out of 32 teams at one point, you know, dead last. Horrible third down defense. Big concern in the offseason. Big concern early in the year. Uh, in the in the preseason, et cetera, Washington number two third down defense in the league. That is a traditional statistic that says a lot. When you are getting teams off the field on third down, your chances of being a good defense have risen significantly. There's more though. I use that DVOA uh, football outsiders stat a lot. You know, one of the reasons I like the DVOA uh, uh, number is because it takes context into all of these numbers. It puts context to the numbers. You know, performance by a team is adjusted based on the quality of the opponent. Performance on a given uh, play is adjusted based on the situation that it was. You know, a third and 12 nine-yard checkdown pass is viewed much differently by DVOA and football outsiders than a third and three completion for a first down. 
the latter is more valuable. Remember, we had the guy from Football Outsiders on to explain a lot of that uh, last year, I think it was. So if you look at DVOA right now, Washington is the number 16 defense in the league. However, they've got the fourth-ranked rush defense in the league. Fourth. So that's what I want to look at. Because when I say they're a good defense right now, and it's not just who they've played, there's this thought about how I thought they were getting better against Philadelphia, how they played well enough to beat Dallas, how they played well against Tennessee, and how they played very well the last two weeks. But their rush defense has been outstanding since week two. Really, really good. Here are a couple of things to consider. You know, taking Green Bay and Tennessee and Chicago out of the equation. Against Philadelphia, they held the Eagles to 72 yards rushing, 2.4 yards per carry. Philadelphia's two games leading into Washington, they had rushed for 216 yards against Detroit and 163 against Minnesota, 5.5 and 4.8 yards per carry, respectively. And then in the game after rushing for just 72 yards and 2.4 yards per carry against Washington, they rushed for 210 against Jacksonville. Washington is the only team to have shut Philadelphia down as a rush football team, which Philadelphia is first and foremost. Moved to Dallas. When they played Dallas in Dallas, they held Zeke and Pollard to 2.1 yards per carry, 2.1, 62 yards total rushing in that game the Cowboys had. The game before the game against Washington, they rushed for 176 yards against the Giants on Monday Night Football, 5.9 yards per carry. In the game after Washington, they rushed for 163 yards against the Rams, Aaron Donald and the Rams, 4.8 yards per carry. They held Tennessee to 3.3 yards per carry, even though uh, Derrick Henry went over 100 yards. They are an outstanding rush defense. This was a big concern of mine, if you remember, before the season started. I was very concerned that last year they played all these pass offenses, all these great quarterbacks, and this year they were going to face a bunch of teams that were run-first teams. And I was concerned because I thought last year, even though the rush numbers weren't terrible, I think they were seventh DVOA, I thought that there were a couple of instances when teams wanted to run it, they did run it. And I wasn't sure what they were going to be at the linebacker position, so I was concerned. They've been an outstanding rush defense. And by the way, they're going to play Jonathan Taylor this week. And then they're going to play Dalvin Cook the week after. And then they're going to play Philadelphia again on a Monday night. They're playing teams that can run the football coming up. Now, Minnesota is much more multi, so is Philadelphia, than what we think Sam Ehlinger and the Colts are going to be on Sunday. But Washington is a good defense right now because they are a very good rush defense right now. And if you can stop the run in the NFL, even in a passing league, and make teams one-dimensional, you've got a chance to really succeed defensively. Teams had Washington off balance all year long last year. So did Jacksonville to a certain degree, and so did Detroit in the first two games. Not the last five games. They have shut down the run, and they have shut down good run teams. 
38 yards Sunday Green Bay had rushing the football. They really didn't even try to run the football against Washington. It is a lot uh, about the front four and about those two D tackles in particular, but it's also about Sweat, who's been outstanding against the run, and Holcomb and Davis in particular, who have gotten better week by week. And by the way, Cam Curl, whose return, by the way, sort of coincided with the beginning of playing better defense. We understand that. Jackson's exit coincided with them playing better defense. And let's not forget that Sam Mills III, who was fired during training camp, was replaced by Coach Z, who they love, and Ryan Kerrigan, who got a full-time job as a coach on the staff. Time will tell, obviously, as to whether or not this is a good defense or not. I'm not saying it's a great defense. DVOA-wise, they're 16th. They're right in the middle of the league. But I do think that they are an outstanding rush defense. And they're playing the Colts with Jonathan Taylor, Dalvin Cook, the Eagles, then the Texans, by the way. The Texans, with their rookie running back, uh, have have uh, run the football well. Damian Pierce has done a really good job this year. He's, I think he's approaching 500 or 600 yards in six games at this point or seven games, how many uh, Houston's played. Um, they get Atlanta, remember, with a dual-threat quarterback and with some good running backs, including Corderell Patterson. Um, and Tyler Algier, the guy that I loved coming out of BYU. Uh, and then they, they get Cleveland later in the year, San Francisco later in the year. Who knows? Maybe their rush defense ultimately is the story of their year with some of the teams that they are playing. If they can turn those rush first teams into one-dimensional teams, gives your team a really good chance. Jay Gruden will join us next. Uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Five stars if you're so inclined. And a quick one to two sentence review, especially on Apple, really helps us out. Back on the podcast and thrilled uh, to have him back is Jay Gruden, the former head coach of the Washington Redskins. Uh, I do have a lot of Washington questions for you. I'm assuming that you watched the game Sunday, right? I did, yes. Okay, so I've got a lot of NFL stuff I want to get to, but I want to start with what did you think of Taylor Heineke on Sunday? Well, I think Taylor played like Taylor. You know, I think he had his ups and downs, and, uh, you know, he started out 
woefully slow. Had a couple really bad balls. Had a fumble that would have been uh, picked up for a touchdown, if not for a horrible holding call. Um, but he bounced back. Uh, typical Heineke. He just keeps grinding, keeps playing hard, and uh, made some plays when it counted, made some great throws uh, when it really mattered, and, and got the victory. So got to applaud him. So what's the best that fans of this team can hope for if he's the starting quarterback the rest of the way? Well, I think you're going to have to just live and live with some of his uh, his errant throws from time to time. But you're going to get a tough, gritty quarterback that's going to try to find ways to move the chains with his legs, scramble around, make some throws. Tough, mentally tough, physically tough kid. But you know, you're going to have to rely on your defense to play well. I don't think they're ever going to score 35 points, and he's going to throw for 350 yards. Uh, but they can win, and they can win ugly, and, and he can make enough plays to uh, move the chains and, and help the team win. It was very similar the way they won Sunday. I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay were super limited offensively, and we'll get to them uh, in a few minutes. But it was very similar with how they won those four games last year to get to 6-6. Six and six. You know, they had many more plays. It was 71-47 to 47 in plays. They dominated time of possession because of that. They ran the ball more than they uh, threw it. Um, and I- I'm wondering if you think that that is a more comfortable formula for Scott Turner, who maybe with Carson Wentz, was more inclined to figure out how to push the ball down the field more? Well, I think the issues with Carson, they were three for 22, their last 25 third down. Right. And when you're three for 22, that means you're punting or you're off the field and you're not maintaining any drives. You're not able to run the ball. If you're converting third downs, you're able to get more plays in and you keep your defense fresh. And Heineke gives you a little bit more uh, freedom to get first downs on third down because he can run. Uh, and I don't know what happened to Carson as far as his injury concern with his back and his knee, but he wasn't quite as mobile as he was when he was a rookie or second year in Philadelphia. But Heineke gives you that mobility factor that you have to have in pro football. If you're not a, a great pocket passer, you better be able to move. And Tyler does, Taylor does give you that ability to run. So what is it like for Turner, do you think? Do you think, you know, let's just say that he was excited because he did say, you know, during the offseason, you know, our depth of throws wasn't, you know, wasn't good enough. And and now we've got the ability to push the ball down the field. And, you know, he had, you know, more weapons. They added Dotson. They had Samuel coming back. And yet it wasn't successful. Do you think think he's back into – um, do you think it's disappointing for him to not be able to push the ball down the field, or do you think that this is actually just a formula he realizes is the best formula for this team to be competitive? What would it well, be you like have to for adapt you? To the quarterback that you have. Well, you have to adapt to the quarterback you have. You can't call these deep shots if the quarterback can't get it down the field. But his arm isn't that bad. He did throw a good go ball to Terry McLaurin right. for a touchdown, so it's not like he, he's got a pop gun arm, but you know he doesn't have an arm like Wentz. Um, it's not like Wentz was completing deep ball after deep ball either, you know. So sometimes uh, these intermediate passes, these the ability to keep drives alive, uh, is more beneficial to your team because you're keeping your defense fresh. And you got to rely on your defense. If your defense is out there 75 or 80 plays, you're going to struggle. I mean, so uh, the ability to keep your defense fresh, keep these drives alive. With Carson, they weren't able to move the ball 80 yards in 15 plays. With uh, Heineke, they have that opportunity because of his ability to run and convert third downs. You know, you you mentioned the throw to Terry for a touchdown. Um, that was, you know, that's that's a good throw. It's it's forty something plus yards in the air from wherever his you know uh, drop point was. 
Um, but I, I, tell me what you think. Like uh, last year, I think he made several of those throws to to the pylon, to the flag that were one on one coverages, where either it was going to be caught or it was going to be incomplete. Where he was able to put air under it, throw it with more touch. And that that was different than when he had to thread the needle, you know, in in a tight window, uh, uh, you know, across the middle of the field. I mean, there were throws he made to DeAndre Carter in the end zone last year to Terry on those kind of touch throws. I don't know if I'm making sense to you right now, but I think that that kind of throw is the throw he can make. It's the ones in tight windows that are more difficult. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that, that is a fact. But yeah, I think he's going to get more one-on-one coverages because teams are going to want to load the box and try to stop the run and force him to throw the ball down the field. So he'll get more of those opportunities where Carson probably saw a little bit more coverage, more too deep and uh, some deeper coverage where they were making him check it down. Heineke, they're going to make him throw it over the top. So he's going to have to complete three or four of those a game for that this offense to be successful moving forward. Um. I'll net it out on Heineke. Do you think right now the team will be back in the quarterback market in the offseason? Well, I think it's pointing that way, you know, unless Ty- Taylor just has a heck of a run here. But, uh, you know, I think you're always in the market for a quarterback when you're uh, making quarterback changes midseason via injury or a lack of, su- lack of success. Uh, the, the, it's hard to find them. And I think if you find one in a draft, it's going to be difficult. Uh, where they're going to pick is going to be hard. you got to have the first two picks, typically, if a great quarterback's available. Um, but free agents, I don't know who's going to be free. You're always looking for a quarterback, but they're hard to find. Did you watch Kenny Pickett the other night for the Steelers? Yeah, yeah, I did watch Kenny. Kenny's, you know, he, he's going through some rookie tough times, but I think he's got the tools to be successful. You know, he's got the... Uh, you know, he's got a decent arm. He can move around a little bit. So I think they're going to go through some growing pains right now, but I think he has the ability. I think it's worth the opportunity to give him right now, moving forward for the next couple of years. Uh, I agree with that. We're talking to Jay Gruden. Um, Gibson or Robinson uh, is a question that, that I've been talking about on the radio show a lot and even on the podcast. I think Gibson looks really good, and I'm wondering why he doesn't get at least as – uh, at least the same number of touches that Robinson Jr. gets. And I know that's a great story with Robinson Jr., and he may turn out to be much better than Gibson. But I think Gibson's one of the best players on the team right now. What do you think? I agree. I, I think Antonio gives you a lot of a lot of flexibility, man. They put him out at empty. They run corner routes with him. He, he's a pretty explosive guy with the ball in his hand. I know he's had a couple fumbles in the past, but uh, I think you, you're right on uh, giving those guys – similar type touches uh, because of his explosion, his ability to get out of the backfield and catch the ball as well. I also think, Jay, that people keep uh, harping on the fact that, you know, he's great in space. Well, that's obvious. But even between the tackles, he moves the pile forward. I mean, he's a he's a good yards after contact runner. He's a big guy. I big, mean, big guy. He can run between the tackles. He can get outside. I, I agree with you. I don't know uh, what put him out of favor. I know they like um, Robinson, but uh, – this guy's six foot one, two hundred twenty-five pounds. I mean, he, he's a physical runner, and he can run fast outside. So, you know, I know the fumble issues and all that stuff, but uh, I, I agree. I think he should get more touches as well. What do you think they're going through defensively right now out in Ashburn, trying to prepare for Indianapolis with Sam Ailinger at quarterback? Uh, they got to they got to stop the run. You know, it's going to be all about. You know, running the football, Jonathan Taylor, he's back healthy. Obviously, Hines comes in there and gives them some uh, flash runs, some RPOs and things of that nature. But, um, you know, I, I think you have to stack the box and then 
play a little tighter coverage in the back end, similar to what Indianapolis will probably do to Heineke. You know, I think it'll be two similar game plans defensively for these defensive coaches um, to try to stop the run and force these guys to throw it. What do you do when you go into a game and you're playing a quarterback that you don't know anything about? Well, you play your system. You know, I, I know that uh, uh, Del Rio likes to play more coverage, but I think they might have to just you know play a little more single high this week uh, to try to stop Jonathan Taylor and, and force this guy see what he see what he has. They can always resort back to their coverage, their quarter quarter halves, and their two deep coverages if, if he starts hurting them with the ball down the field to Paris Campbell or Alec Pierce, but or Michael Pittman. Uh, but I think initially the game plan is let's see what this guy can do throwing the ball. We're going to stop Jonathan Taylor. We're not going to let Jonathan Taylor beat us. We're going to see if this Ellinger guy can throw it. Can you remember uh, any game where you guys went into a game facing a quarterback that had not taken an NFL snap before and how it worked out? Uh, I think we played Jacksonville, and they played the quarterback from USC. I forgot his name. He was a rookie or second-year guy. He wasn't very good. We didn't really were concerned about him beating us with his arm, very similar to what I think a lot of teams are going to do with Sam for the first couple of weeks. Uh, stop the run, stop the run, stop the run, force this guy to throw it. Let's the heck out of him on third down, see if he can handle the pressure. Um, you told me uh, one of the last times that we spoke that when you got here in 2014 that the biggest surprise for you was Jordan Reed, that you had not evaluated him uh, very highly and that you knew the first time you saw him you had something really, really special and that he, he was going to be really, really good for you. Um, what did you, and, and I may have asked you this in the past, but um, refresh my memory. When did you know that you had something really good in Terry McLaurin? Uh, rookie minicamp, uh, OTAs, um, when he first got here. Um, I, we really had a good inkling about Terry when we saw him at the Senior Bowl. His college tape was good. It wasn't spectacular like it was at the Senior Bowl. You know, his speed, his uh, ability to just burst out of his cuts, um, his hands were a lot better than we thought as well. We thought he struggled catching the ball at college at Ohio State, like double catching some balls, but uh, didn't have that issue in training camp, didn't have it at the rookie mini camp. Um, and he's very smart, um, very competitive. He'll block. He'll uh, run the deep balls. He'll run the short passes. He'll block for the bubble screens if you want to throw it to us, uh, you know, a more shifty guy. Uh, just an all-around great guy, great player. You know, it's funny because I think I've said this to you before, and if I haven't, I remember that that preseason, and, you know, it wasn't clear to everybody that Terry McLaurin was going to end up being what he was in the opener against Philadelphia with Case Keenum when he caught a long bomb, and then, you know, Keenum overthrew him on another one that would have been a touchdown, um, uh, and he, he had that breakout game. But you guys knew going into it, um, but did you expect him right from the jump to be as productive as he was? Actually, we did. You know, we didn't play him in the preseason. We tried to hide him a little bit yep. and uh, unleash him week one uh, against you Philadelphia. Did. And he did do that. And, uh, you know, the type of guy is, if you're just ever around Terry and, and the focus that he has, his ability to just work hard, focus, and every route that he runs is, is like it's his last route he's ever going to run. Um, it's just a pleasure to have a guy like that. He rubs off on the other guys. You know, even though he was a rookie, um, he was like a veteran receiver. Everybody looked up to him. And uh, we knew that we had something special when we got him. I'm curious, too. You said you had him at the Senior Bowl. But had the process of looking at Dwayne 
started at that point or you know you you've told the story many times about how clearly the owner influenced the pick but did you were you guys asked to to really evaluate Haskins and and look at Haskins and did that perhaps lead to you stumbling upon Terry or is it just that you're always going to evaluate Ohio State receivers Always going to evaluate Ohio State receivers. They had Paris Campbell as well. Yeah, I right. Mean, those two guys were they, they were they were unbelievable. They had some weapons. Uh, the running backs were great at that time. Um, they had just weapons all across the board. So Ohio State, Alabama, those are two teams you're going to look at extensively. Everybody. Yeah, I mean that team had uh, Dobbins on it. That last team. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Campbell. Uh, I'm forgetting somebody too who's uh, in the NFL. Um, all right. Uh, oh, one last one on Terry because I, I did this on the radio show this morning. Do you think Terry McLaurin's the best player on the team? Um, I think he's probably the most valuable just because of the type of character that he has to go along with the skill that he has. You know, I, I, those are that's a hard combination to find: the leadership, the the mental toughness, the physical toughness. So, yes, you want all your players to be like Terry McLaurin. I mean, just because of the type of guy that he is, he's going to come every day to practice, practice hard. He's going to be accountable in the games. You're never going to be late. He's just the perfect guy to have on your football team with the skill and the leadership qualities that he has. If you take that out of the equation, and I know it's very important, character, et cetera, and, and the kind of fit he is for the locker room, just straight pound for pound the best football player on the team. Him, John Allen, Sweat, Payne. You know, is, is would you still yeah. t- take Terry? Uh, no, I I would choose defensive lineman first, probably. Okay. <laughs> just, uh, but but you just still need the explosion. You know, to have a, a receiver that can go deep and take the top off, and also be a physical guy in a running game. The versatility that Terry has is critical, in my opinion. So I, I'd still probably take Terry first, uh, but I would have to have major discussions with Payne and Allen as well. Um, what do you make and, of and, and the way Sweat's playing, and Sweat's playing his tail off right now, too. He's got to be in the conversation. Uh, in that draft, you guys really liked Sweat. I know, I think you liked Savage, too, um, uh, the, the safety who ended up in Green Bay from Maryland. But um, has Sweat turned in, or is, is he starting to turn into the player that you thought you, you drafted? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when you have a guy that his, has his size and ran, I think he ran 4 4 at the combine. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, six foot six, long, um, can play the run, and obviously the ability to rush the passer when you're playing against Dak Prescott of the world, you got to be able to get after the quarterback, and and Montez brings that quality that you have to have on your football team. Just to to be clear on this, because I I think I've asked you this before, but uh, at 15 that year you took Haskins, but if the football people had had their choice, would it have been Sweat there or Savage? Uh, probably Sweat, uh, just because we need another pass rusher. And rushing the passer is key, but Savage was also a good, good pick for us because he could play nickel. Uh, we thought he could play safety. He's very versatile. He could run. He could hit. Um, so yeah, there was two good options. But we needed a quarterback, so uh, um, it wasn't the end, you know. So we took Dwayne. Um, Allen and Payne right now. I mean, the years they're having, none of that, none of that surprises you, does it? No, not at all, not at all. I mean, Jonathan, we didn't think any way that Jonathan would drop to us when he dropped to us. We thought that uh, uh, he'd be gone, and when he was there, it was just a uh, hurry up and sign the letter and, and send it into the draft board. So, yeah, that was the easiest pick I think we had in the draft since I was there. Uh, and Payne's, you think he'll get paid big time in this offseason? I think he will. 
like I said, these guys are hard to find. These big defensive linemen that can move. Um, he can play the run. He can play at a two-gap system. He can play in a gap system where he can uh, get up the field. So I think his versatility, nose guard, three technique, he can do it all. And uh, those are hard to find. Um, defensive linemen are diamond. They're, they're people say they're a diamond dozen, but they're not. I mean, great defensive linemen that can rush a passer, play the run, are uh, uh, critical to have on your football team. All right, let's talk about um, some of the other teams in the league. Why are the Giants six and one? They're playing great team football. You know, I think the Giants and, and Daniel Jones is playing as good as uh, any quarterback in the league right now. It's hard to you know hard to imagine his first couple starts, his first couple years he struggled, but uh, he's throwing the ball well and he's running. Uh, I mean, he had 100 yards rushing last week, which I mean that's that's crazy. You know, nobody really thought he was that athletic. I didn't think he was that athletic. I knew he was athletic, but the rush for 100 yards in an NFL game, never would have thought that. So, yeah, I think they're doing that. Saquon Barkley is, is as good a back as there is in football. Their offensive line is playing well. They're not turning the ball over. And their defense has really turned the corner. I mean, they weren't a very good defense last year. And they're playing good defense. They're getting turnovers. And they're not turning the ball over. And Daniel Jones is playing extremely well. You know who's playing well, and I, I, I failed to mention this um, at, at all this week, but for those that didn't see the Jacksonville game, the final pass of the game uh, from Trevor Lawrence went to the goal line, just short of the goal line, and the guy that made this the game-saving tackle was Fabian Moreau. You know, I always thought Fabian was a guy who could really run and was long, and I thought he'd turn into a better corner. Um, what did you think of him when you had him? And, and he's a big part of, of, what the, of what the Giants are doing right now. Yeah, we like Fabian. You know, he came out, he played running back at UCLA, and then they transferred him uh, to corner. And, uh, you know, he had an injury, so we thought we'd have to redshirt him maybe. But he, he, he came and played his first year. We knew he'd be a great special teamer because he could run. He was a great flyer. We thought he'd develop into a starting corner in the NFL, which he has. You know, he just had trouble every now and then. He'd get a little grabby with his hands, get a lot of holding calls. He didn't trust his speed uh, or his physicality at the line of scrimmage. But he is physical at the line of scrimmage, and he can really run. Um, uh, but just learning the nuances of the coverages and the quarters and the quarter-quarter halves and the, and the, and the man-to-mans and the techniques and learning how to use your leverage. Um, but to have a guy that can run like that and can be physical like that, um, you're you're going to work with guys like that and give them the benefit of the doubt and get them on the field. So what does the NFC East look like to you? How do you think it'll it'll flush out at the end? I think Dallas is still the team to beat. I think the Giants are a great story, obviously. Um, Philadelphia is playing great overall team offense and defense, but Dallas is uh, still, with Dak coming back, I think in my mind, the team to beat, but uh, it's a great division. You know, it's, I think it's the best the division has been in, in many, many, many years from top to bottom. You're looking at the bottom team right now, and it's probably Washington by record, but, you know, Washington's a good football team. And, uh, you know, the Giants and the Eagles and the Cowboys, but I think still the Cowboys are the team to beat in that division. Is Dallas the best defensive team in the league? I think they're close to it. Them and Philly, actually, um, are, are playing good defensive football. Um, you know, they, they can rush the passer. Philly has probably the edge on defense just because of their corner play with Darius Slay. Um, but uh, they're both good defenses. The way Dallas rushes the passer, though, with Lawrence uh, and, and, and obviously uh, Parsons. I'm drawing a blank. Parsons. Yeah, yeah. Parsons. Uh, they're, they're pretty they're, they're tough to deal with. You know, it's kind of interesting this year. You know, I don't know if you're following this, but scoring's down by an average of like four-plus points per game, um, maybe even, even a little bit more than that. Um, you know, some people are attributing it to the fact that the preseason is even less impactful in terms of preparation than it used to be. I don't know how much it's really changed. What do you attribute the lower scoring to? 
Well, I think uh, offensive line plays a little bit down. I think tight end plays down a little bit. There's not a lot of great tight ends that can really attack uh, defenses other than uh, a couple of the uh, known ones, Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. Um, and, and it's just hard for offenses with a lot of injuries right now to offensive linemen. There's some quarterbacks that have been going down. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, injuries and offensive line issues have a lot to do with it. Uh, Seattle leads the NFC West uh, at four and three. Pete Carroll and John Schneider traded Russell Wilson for a boatload, and Geno Smith's been their quarterback, and it's worked out so far. What do you think of that team, and what do you think of Pete Carroll as a head coach? Well, I think this is by far his best job as a head coach. You know, when they had Russell Wilson, obviously he's very talented, did some great things. They won a lot of games, but you know, there was a lot of questions going into the season. They have some young offensive linemen. They have a brand of rookie left tackle playing. Um, Geno Smith has had many of opportunities that uh, he struggled in earlier opportunities, but they saw something in them, and uh, they went with them, and they're calling They have a great game plan for them. They've got weapons on the outside. The running game is very, very, very good. Um, their play-action game and uh, Geno's ability to throw the ball deep is outstanding. So uh, you got to give Pete a lot of credit for this year. I think it's uh, a great coaching job by his football team. By his Geno Smith is I, – I, I had this conversation, I forget, it may have been with, with Cooley the other day, that there are certain quarterbacks that just stick around. You know, it's because they're great in the room. A guy like Chase Daniel has made $43 million and has basically been on the field three or four times as a quarterback his entire career. But clearly there's something about him that teams like. Um, Jacoby Brissett, Geno Smith are getting opportunities this year. What is it that keeps a guy hanging around long enough and then – is it a surprise to you that a guy like Geno Smith, after all these years, he's 32 years old, is having you know a career year and, and, and potentially is 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 quarterbacking a playoff team when nobody expected it? Just the 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 the, the, the conversation about how some of these quarterbacks keep getting chances and others don't. Why? Well, he's got a skill set. Number one, um, he's played some football. He's got some experience, and. Obviously, they've seen something in him in practice to give him an opportunity, and he's taken full advantage of it. Um, there have been quarterbacks in the past, like Rich Gannon and some other quarterbacks that have played very well later in their careers and not so well earlier in their careers when they've got the opportunity and the experience. You know, quarterback is very difficult position to play, and the more experience you get, the more years under your belt you get, the more comfortable you are under center, making the audibles, making the throws, the protection adjustments, whatever you need to do. Uh, for a rookie sometimes, and it's, it's a lot thrown at you. Different coverages, the speed of the game is very, very hard. But as a 32-year-old guy, you've been there, you've done that, you've been in different systems, you know what plays you like, what concepts, attack what defenses, uh, where to go with the football. Uh, it just clicks a lot quicker in the amount of time that you have to run a play. It's it's really it's interesting to, to to watch that sort of come together. I mean, do you think it speaks to maybe a new idea of being much more patient with some of these guys? Um, I mean, there's another example, and it's it's escaping my 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 memory right now. There's another guy that's really started to play well. I mentioned Jacoby Brissett, but I'm forgetting. Um, Somebody else has really started to come into his own. I mean, like 30, 32 years old, if that's when they start to come into their own, is that okay? Yeah, for sure. You know, and it doesn't click a lot of times. A lot of times you got to be in the right situation with the right offense uh, also, and you got the right people around you. And Seattle, like I said, has a great running game to complement them. They have a big physical guy, DK Metcalf, a speed guy like Tyler Lockett, and, uh, and he's been with these guys for a couple of years now, so it clicks for them. 
And Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, is doing a great job. We had him here uh, at Washington. Yep. He's an excellent coach, knows how to attack defenses, and putting Geno in a great situation to, to succeed. Uh, I was thinking of Tannehill. Like, Tannehill had all of those years in Miami and was thought to be, you know, sort of this first-round uh, bust. And then he gets into this system with, you know, Arthur Smith uh, as his coordinator, and he's had a solid, you know, three- or four-year run in Tennessee starting at, like, 30 years old. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can make an argument that uh, Marcus Mariota's doing the same thing. Right. You know, he's playing pretty well at Atlanta. So, you know, these guys experience – and repetition is key for quarterbacks. You know, a lot of people give up too quickly on quarterbacks. Um, there are going to be some young quarterbacks that are playing right now that are struggling that I think will be okay, you know, in their 30s uh, that will play a lot better just because of the experience. And when you call the same play over and over and over again for five, six, seven years, <laughs> it helps. You know it. Yeah. You know what that play is good for. And you get a certain coverage, where to go to with the ball, like that, clockwork. Whereas a rookie, you're like, oh my gosh, I just we're expecting cover two, but we got cover three. What do I go with the ball sack? You know, it's it's just uh, a lot harder for these guys to to translate all the information they have to go through pre-snap and then post-snap execute it. Or veteran guys who've been there and done that, it makes it a lot easier for them because of the experience they have. But to stick around and get those opportunities and eventually have a chance to do what Geno Smith is doing, you've got to be a pretty good guy, don't you? I mean, you got to be worth hanging around. You can't be an asshole. Oh, you're exactly right. You have to be a good teammate. You have to be patient. You have to be supportive of the starter. You know, just because you're not the starter, you may want to be the starter. You have to be supportive of the starter. You know, Colt McCoy is a great example. He was he was a great backup. I know he wanted to play in the worst way, but he came to practice. He did his job. He took notes. He was supportive of Kirk Cousins and uh, was a great backup. And he's still in the league at Arizona. So. These guys, Case Keenum, another McCoy. great example. Colt McCoy, ex- you meant. Yeah. So you said Cousins. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a great backup for Kirk Oh, Cousins, oh, oh backup. I, I thought yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, my fault. Yeah. Yeah. And then Case Keenum's another guy. He's still in the league. He's a great backup. And when they, you know, if he's pressed to play, he's serviceable and can win games. Um, all right. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Uh, what's going on there with both of them? Well, clearly, uh, Aaron Rodgers is – having trouble with the guys around him. Um, he doesn't have the speed. You can see that they don't have speed to take the top off. Guys are having trouble getting separation. He's mentioned a lot of times guys are having mental mistakes, way too many mental mistakes, and you just can't have that at wide receiver. You've got to have somebody that can get some separation, for goodness sakes. He's having trouble finding anybody with that skill to do that. Randall Cobb's a little older. Lazard's not a big, uh, fast guy. Uh, they're tight end Tunyon. He's not a guy that's going to get a whole lot of separation. So, uh, they got to find something out real quick. The least they can do is do the things right and, and be in the right spot at the right depth. And if they're not doing that and they're not getting separation, the quarterback's going to struggle. Tampa Bay, I can't explain it. They have a big physical back and forth net. They got a good rookie back at Rashad White. They got Mike Evans. Uh, I don't know what's going on in Tampa Bay. There's a there's a disconnect there between the system, I think, and Tom or or something, or the offensive line may not playing up to par. Uh, but that is a question that uh, I don't know. I don't have the answer to why they're struggling. Yeah, not to mention th- they should have a dominant defense, and it's been very inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, they've struggled in the red zone. They've struggled getting after the quarterback. They've, they've struggled in all areas at Tampa Bay. You can't just blame the offense because their defense isn't playing very well either. So uh, they have all the tools. They can turn it around, and if anybody can do it, Tom Brady can do it. And Leftwich has got to you know, dig down deep and, and help them out a little bit more. But uh, – I, I would I would be surprised if they're not uh, going to win the NFC South. 
There was a moment there in the offseason where we thought there was a chance Rodgers and Brady would both be out of the NFC and there would be a major changing of the guard. They were both back, but there may be a changing of the guard anyway. Who do you see coming out of the NFC right now and making the Super Bowl? I think it's, uh, well, I'm a consultant for the Rams, so I guess say the Rams, obviously. Right. But uh, if I take them out of the equation, you know, I think Philadelphia and Dallas right now are playing excellent football. Uh, and NFC South is struggling a little bit. I think the Lions. I mean, I mean the Vikings. They're they're five and one, but there's still some question marks there. But when you're talking about good all-around team football, I think the Cowboys and Eagles right now are playing the best football because their offense and defense are complementing each other, and they both can run the ball as well. Are Buffalo and Kansas City clearly the two best teams in the league? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, usually you go to the quarterbacks, and the best two quarterbacks are on the best two teams, and that's the case right there those guys are playing at a level that we haven't seen guys play at i mean the ability to move run get out of the pocket off schedule plays throw the ball down the field i mean these guys have it all these two quarterbacks are uh, fun to watch and they're going to be a a nightmare for teams for many many years to come all right last one if there's a team uh, right now that you're thinking of that is hovering you know in that three and four four and three range i don't know maybe two and four or two and five that you think is much better and will make a run is there a team that comes to mind I'd probably still err on the side of uh, Green Bay because I think their defense is uh, better than their plan. Uh, if they get the receivers going a little bit, Aaron Rodgers, I think they'll make a run eventually. Um, obviously, Tampa Bay, same boat, Tom Brady, and the skill that they have on offense and the skill that they have on defense. Um, yeah, and San Francisco and the Rams, uh, both those two teams, are uh, they're going to make a run as well. Matthew Stafford's going to – Cooper Cup, they're going to make a run. They get Van Jefferson back. They're going to be uh, tough to deal with, too, with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey back there. All right. Uh, I hope you're well. Uh, it's good to catch up. Let's talk soon. You got it. Thanks, Kevin. Jay Gruden, everybody. Always fun to catch up with him. Ben standing up next with the latest on Chase Young and a lot more on the Washington Commanders. Uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This segment with Ben Standing brought to you by MyBookie. This weekend, Jake Paul and Anderson Silva highlight the main event of what could be the boxing pay-per-view event of the year. Whether you're a diehard or a casual fan, every punch that lands could be another win at MyBookie. Predict individual matchups, bet on fights to go the distance, or bet on one of your personal favorites, fighter to win by knockout maybe, for a much bigger payout. No sport is as fun to bet as combat sports, and no sports book gives you more ways to win than MyBookie. And for a limited time only, join the MyBookie family, and you'll have your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Use my promo code KevinDC on sign-up to claim your bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie, mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Ben Standing from The Athletic jumps on with us right now. Um, I reached out to you because I saw the J.P. Finley report uh, from earlier this morning on Chase Young. J.P. reported, team source says no setback, but don't expect the clock to start today, meaning the practice uh, 21-day clock before he has to be activated. Team wants to be cautious and have one more doctor visit. If all goes well, Young likely practices next week. Um, They're not rushing him back. So uh, there was an expectation that he would practice today. Is there a reason, since they've put it back at least a week, to be concerned? Um, I I don't know if there's a reason to be concerned any more than I would have been concerned three, four, five, six weeks ago when, you know, let's go back to where we all were earlier in the summer when, you know, could Chase Young be ready to play at the start of the season? And then it became apparent, all right, he's probably going to miss at least the top of the season. Then Rivera made the comment um, early in training camp that he's probably going to go on the pup list, and he even thought at that moment it was still six weeks instead of four. That gave us the hint that it could be six weeks. And now we're you know at week eight, and if, if this is uh, the way it's going to play out, he may not be practicing until week nine, which means he may not even be playing until week ten. So I guess I wouldn't say that this moment is concerning for me, but the question has been for several weeks now, like kind of what, what happened here? It is a significant injury, uh, you know, and not. And I think we've all probably fallen under the illusion that everybody returns from an ACL in uh, nine months, and his his situation was a bit more complicated with patella tendon damage. But that said, it's interesting to see that it is taking this long, and how much of it is them being incredibly cautious, and how much of it is somewhere along the way there was a setback or he's just taking a longer time to recover than anybody imagined that, that, that I think is still up in the air. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, so I'm not more concerned today, but it is, it's been a lot, it's been concerning over the course of several weeks. I would say, do you know, I mean, you're out there all the time. Has he been in town during the season or has he continued to do a lot of the rehab out in Colorado? That we've seen him, I mean, you know, pretty much. I've been, I, I can't recall a time not seeing him ever since he first showed up for um, when was that uh, training camp or OTAs? Like, I forget what it was the exact 
my brain doesn't work anymore. I but think like, it was, was, I think it was OTAs. He, he did show up for uh, yeah, some right. OTAs, yeah. Well, right, right. Well, he, he he missed the first week, I think, for being out. Right. Um, but yeah, he's been around the whole time, and, and we see him out there every day, you know, when we're out there, uh, you know, running the hills or working with the training staff. So, you know, he's doing the work, and we're seeing it. Um, you know, and look, from the naked eye, he looks pretty good. But obviously there's a difference between, you know, just running a sprint straight down the field versus, you know, cutting, taking hits, taking the pounding, and that type of thing. I think that my expectations, you know, once we really started to get a sense that he wasn't going to be ready for training camp or, you know, the early portion of the season, especially when Ron, you know, thought that the, you know, IR thing was six games and kind of spoke to six games. I think at that point, my expectations were dialed back significantly for him, you know, at any point this year to be Chase Young or at least the Chase Young that we hope. Um, will become Chase Young when they drafted him number two overall and, you know, the rookie of the year uh, uh, in 2020. I, I mean, I think right now for fans, that's a good position to have, don't you? That, you know, the expectations for Chase Young really should be more about 2023 than 2022. A 100%. And what's interesting, like the difference with Chase Young versus some, maybe some other players would be, one, so much of what his game is at this point is his athletic explosion versus like skill not saying he's unskilled but like we saw his last time we saw him on the field he was a work in progress still that he needed to have more refined pass rushing technique and so on and so for him to come back like it's not like he's coming in with like this array of you know he knows how to he's got these all this savviness and he knows how to get around linemen without pure athleticism he's not that guy right now so he needs to be as close to 100% as possible, and that's why, right, it's not like the guy comes back, whoever it is, from an ACL, goes on the field, and immediately is back where he was. It, it, it's one thing to play again. It's another thing to then be sort of at that level. So he's not uh, – yeah, so I'm with you. I was dialing back my expectations significantly. And then on top of it, I think what's maybe even the most interesting is what has he developed from a technique standpoint? How are you – you know, you can do some things while you're – on the sideline, but he's been, you know, having to just rehab the knee. How much time are you really spending working on, you know, your swim moves or your, you know, whatever it is, you know, going over the top or whatever to, to, to get better. And that's where he needed to be beyond, you know, beyond getting recovering from the injury. So yeah, I've dialed back my expectations a lot. Did that several weeks ago or even maybe a couple months ago at this point. And uh, yeah, whatever he can give them is a, is, is a bonus, but I'm not expect, I haven't been expecting the, Wow, all-world Chase Young impression that we have uh, this year. All right, let's talk about their defense in general. Um, I asked this question on the radio show this morning of callers, and and Denton and I um, answered it ourselves. I want to know what your answer is, and that is, do you think this defense is a good defense, or do you think it has just played well recently because of the opponents that they've faced? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I was – you know, I was looking this up like with the QBR rating, just to use that as a basic guide. Um, other than Jalen Hurts, I'm not counting Cooper Rush. Um, other than Jalen Hurts, they they haven't. I don't think they faced any other quarterback that's inside the top 15. Um, you know, I mean, even Aaron Rodgers is currently like 26. I mean, he's just obviously not at peak form with that offense. Um, so I think there is something to be said for that. However, you know, and I'm not trying to sound like one of like a coach here, but like, you know, that Eagles game, the Eagles, you know, crushed them in that second quarter. But other than that, they did a pretty good job of containing them. And, you know, 
you know, third down numbers are up significantly. That it's not like they're that second is in the league. They're because... second in the league on third down defense right now. Second, <laughs> right? It's crazy, and um, I don't have the the, stat, the numbers in front of me. But in the article I just put up yesterday on the Athletic, like I showed how the first two weeks of the year they were you know bottom of the league in numerous categories, and now in those same categories they're you know top five, top ten. Um, I, I do think the defensive line. I, I think the big difference to me between this year and last year right now is the defensive line is both applying pressure to the quarterback, but also being consistent. We're not hearing Ron Rivera talk about discipline and maturity right. issues on that side of the ball the way we did throughout last year. And from that, I think everything behind them flows better. Uh, they, 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 I believe it was they had allowed 16 explosive plays in the first two weeks, and it's not much more than that in the next five. Uh, and I think you know the William Jackson benching or injury or whatever we want to say there. I think is is, is help, frankly, right? I, I think their their secondary has been uh, you know less leaky. So I, I don't know if they're good, like or like dominant, but I think they're, they're they're significantly better than they were last year. And my point from the beginning of the year was if they could just be top, you know, middle of the pack, and you hope for you know an upgrade on offense because of the Carson Wentz a factor and more playmaking. Maybe that's enough to get to get you up another level. Uh, obviously, we know where we're at with the offense, but um, yeah, I think the defense has been good. I, I wouldn't say though they're like, wow, this is an amazing defense. And I think part of that is the opponents they have faced. Um, but we'll get a better feel. Uh, maybe not this week, <laughs> Sam Ellinger, but in a couple weeks to come with Minnesota, Philadelphia, and so on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, they're a really good rush defense right now which is a surprise to me because I didn't think that – I thought there was a chance that that would be a weakness this year because of the teams they were facing. Like last year it was all quarterbacks that could throw it with dynamic receivers. This year it was a lot of rush-first uh, teams with some really good backs. And, you know, I looked at some numbers like what Dallas rushed for before and after the Washington game, and, you know, they were prolific on the ground uh, before they played Washington and after they played Washington, but they were two-point-something, you know, yards per carry when they played Washington. Philadelphia, the same thing. They, you know, they did a good job on Derrick Henry. They held him to like three and a half yards per carry. I think it's a really good rush defense, and you know, and you know, it, it, it makes it easier to play the run um, when you're not worried about getting beat over the top. Although it's strange to say that about Green Bay, obviously, um, but uh, um, that's been the case with some of the quarterbacks they faced. Okay, um, enough about the defense. Let's get to uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, the topic uh, when it comes to this football team right now. Uh, And there's a lot of differing opinions on what we saw on Sunday and what we might see moving forward. What do you think? Well, let me see if I can make this analogy work. And you, you as a college basketball fan, uh, hopefully we'll we'll appreciate this. You know we're, we're we're lamenting on the Wizards right now. Johnny Davis is not looking. You know he's not basically playing. He's looked pretty bad so far. Right. And independent of whatever he is, he comes from Wisconsin, right? And Wisconsin basketball players typically do not impress when they get to the pros. And I think part of the reason why is Wisconsin is they they they, they get guys who are really try hard, work hard guys, and that effort alone can win you a lot of games. But then when you get up against tougher opponents, more athletic opponents who play with your same level of energy and focus, they, they tend to lose. And I feel like this is where we're at kind of with Taylor Heineke in that he is, I mean, he's an athletic guy, but like he's limited in what he can do, but he's a try-hard guy at all times. 
and that will keep you in games when the other opponent maybe looks past you or has a, you know has their a down day. It can be enough to get you by, but that's just getting by. And the whole point of all this is to do more than get by. It's to win big at some point. And this and this team has been stuck in that middle forever. So. I think Taylor Heineke, I've been saying this all along. If the goal is to win the very next game, I've been saying this in training camp, I would probably go with Taylor Heineke over Carson Wentz. But if the goal is to win big, then Taylor Heineke can't be the answer. And, you know, that first half was miserable. Obviously, he was lucky to not have thrown four interceptions, let alone the one that was a pick six. Um, and, um, you know, I, look, I think he's a fun, he's obviously a great watch. He's a fun guy. I totally get why people would root for him, and that is fantastic. And he gives him a good chance to win this week, right, obviously. But, uh, you know, for me, I've just looked at the long view much more than I'm looking at the present, like for years now, because what are we talking about here? We're getting ourselves all worked up for a team that's winning seven games every year. Like, it's got to be more than that. So I just think that Heineke is – he, he may be a totally reasonable option for this for this moment, but in terms of like meaning something long term, no, I am not on that bandwagon. Trade deadline. Uh, you asked Ron about that about a week and a half ago, somewhere around there, um, and they've won two games since. So I'm not expecting anything other than maybe a William Jackson for a late, 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 like twelfth round conditional at this point. I don't know who, who would <laughs> offer anything for him, but I guess uh, since they've won two in a row, um, that would be the only thing they would do, right? Yeah, so it was the – I asked him before this last game, so it's just the one game oh, okay. um, that, that, that they've won since. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, look, at three and four, even though there's a lot of teams at three and four, they, they are technically only a half a game out of the final wild card spot. So, yeah, I don't see them making any, any bold move like a Deron Payne um, kind of a deal. And William Jackson, like you said, one, we'll have to see where he is with his back. Uh, you know, because I think that is a real thing. But then also, you know, he's got a, you know, a, a good contract for next year with it with a dead cap money uh, that that's significant. So yeah, I don't know that another team is willing to take that on. But you know, if they can, you know, if Washington is willing to say, look, just take the money, we don't care about you know, like you said, the 12th pick or whatever. Uh, you know, that that could happen. And like, I don't see Jackson coming back to the lineup anytime soon. They they played pretty decently the last you know couple of weeks with Adam. Far less breakdowns than we saw you know, throughout last season and earlier this season. So, uh, yeah, I don't see anything really happening. I mean, it would be unwise for them, I think, in a lot of ways to make a, a move where you're giving up assets to get a player. But um, in terms of trading guys away, it seems more unlikely now that they won last week. I mean, it could be one of those where it's the player and a seventh rounder and you get a sixth rounder back, you know, something like that. <laughs> Right, right. Um, exactly. Right. Last question. What do you think they are expecting Sunday against an Indianapolis team that will start Sam Ehlinger, a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you figure, like, Taylor Heineke is, like, the wild card in, like, all the games he plays because you just never know what you're going to get. Well, now we're talking about the Colts starting a quarterback that is, like, a Taylor Heineke clone who's never taken an NFL snap. So this is truly um, a wild card scenario. Um, you know, look, I mean, look, the Colts still have some players you got to worry about. Jonathan Taylor's on that team. Uh, Michael Pittman's a, a pretty solid receiver. But, uh, you know, it's hard to know what to make of a guy like Ellinger. And, you know, uh, perhaps this gives him a boost. Like, it's really hard to, to comprehend how bad Matt Ryan has been just when you look at the numbers. He leads the league in interceptions, fumbles, and he's now overtaken Carson Wentz to be the most sacked quarterback in the league, and uh, so it's. I guess 
say that anything would be better than that, but we are. But, but Matt Ryan still was leading them into some late game uh, positive drives uh, to win games. They are three three and one, uh, so it's not like they were out of it. But they still decided to make this move, and uh, you know, the, I guess I would just say, you know. The defense has got to be ready for a quarterback who's going to probably tuck it, tuck the ball, and, and, and be on the move a lot um, more than just like guys who are trying to throw it way down uh, the field. Yeah, it's interesting. Line Indianapolis still three point favorite with a quarterback that's never taken a snap in the league. Um, you know their their uh, their pass block win rate um, is thirtieth, and Washington actually dropped a spot after Sunday to thirty first in that next gen you know pass block uh, statistic. Uh, so you know having that statuesque quarterback with an offensive line that can't protect it, it was. They're going to a, a mobile quarterback be, out of necessity. I mean, I'm not saying Ryan was playing well because he wasn't. The 11 fumbles are alarming. Along, I mean, he's turned the ball over 20 times um, this season, which is just amazing. Actually, I don't know how many of those fumbles were lost. I don't know if that's a lost fumble stat or if that's a uh, total fumble stat. Um, but uh, they, you know, they couldn't protect him and. I think Washington had some of the same issues too. Look, I think I think uh, Taylor Heineke got pressured a lot. I think there were some immediate wins up front for Green Bay on Sunday. The difference is, and this is what Indianapolis has recognized, is that you got a guy that might be able to duck his way out of a few of them and make a play. And Carson couldn't, and Matt Ryan definitely couldn't. Um, it's going to be interesting. This is actually, in so many weird ways, this is like a, one of the more interesting games they've had all year long. Because it's it seems like they've got a really good chance to get to 500, and yet you really don't know what the Colts have in Ailinger. They clearly liked him. They had moved him up to number two a few weeks ago, and apparently they thought he had a phenomenal training camp, and they were really excited about him then. But we'll see. Yeah, for sure. But by the way, like to me, you said this is like a really interesting game, and I agree. What's so interesting to me about this? Is the Colts? It's so funny how the Colts and Washington seem to be incredibly, like, going through the exact same details. You know that they're connected through the the Wentz trade. That we we now have this ownership <laughs> fight subplot. But now we have two teams that have been sort of on this merry-go-round of year after year. Who's the quarterback? What are they going to do at quarterback? The Colts have done it, you know, year over year, uh, changing guys. And, and here it's been happening too. Some because of injuries, but also you know the, it. But, you know, from Dwayne Haskins to Ryan Fitzpatrick to Carson Wentz, each you know, there's been a different starting quarterback. But what's interesting to me is, again, the Colts are three, three and one in a terrible division. It would be easy to just say that, regardless of Matt Ryan's problems, that we're going to stay the course that we think we'll get. You know, things will get better over time, and we'll go with the proven quarterback in Matt Ryan rather than an unknown rookie. Instead, the Colts decided, you know what? Screw that. we got to get off this merry-go-round. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at our guy. We have no idea, realistically, if he's going to be an answer. But if he's not and he stinks, we bottom out probably, and we go into the draft with a, possibly a top-ten pick, and we go get a quarterback and go that way. Because ultimately they've been stuck in the middle just like Washington has. And you can't. it's pretty hard to get a quarterback in the middle. So I, the fact that – and this is like we're talking about with Washington – are they, what are they going to do with Carson Wentz whenever he comes back? Are they going to sit him? We, there's that 70% snaps thing that we talked about, and I asked Ron Rivera about this the other day. And, you know, is Washington ever – are they going to look at the situation and think, even if we have 
Heineke is doing well and we can get back in. Well, what are we? Are we actually making a run in the playoffs? And if we, you know, if the season ends, then what? We still don't have a quarterback. So I, I, I think that's no. really so interesting. The Colts, but 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 I, I think I, I know what you're saying. And as it as it relates to Washington, they're never. Let's just say if they are. Um, you know, mathematically alive in week 15, they're not going to say to what end and let's play Sam Howell to see what we have. They're going to go for it. And I actually think that the Colts are going for it. it. Let me, let me, it's similar, not directly analogous, but it's similar to what uh, Jim Harbaugh did in 2012. When Alex Smith got hurt, if you recall, they had to play Colin Kaepernick, who had, who had never played. Colin Kaepernick gave them a dimension that Alex Smith didn't really give them. And when Alex Smith came back and was healthy, they stuck with Kaepernick. And they stuck with Kaepernick because they thought they were a better team with Kaepernick. And, you know, they went to the postseason that year and went to the Super Bowl um, with Kaepernick in in 2012 and nearly won it. It was the right decision. I actually think, as you were sitting there talking, that what this move is, it's a move because at three three and one, they don't think they can get to eight seven and one or nine six and one with a statuesque quarterback. They think Ailinger gives them their best chance to 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 end up winning this bad division. Um, and you know, in in a similar way in which Kaepernick gave him this this dimension that you know Russell Wilson was giving Seattle in 2012, and RG3 was giving Washington in 2012, and then Kaepernick came in and killed it for them. Um, and so uh, I th- I think they 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 elevated him to number two recently because there were people in that organization that thought you know what we can't protect we can't just have Matt Ryan be a drop back quarterback we need with Jonathan Taylor we need a dual threat quarterback and that gives us our best chance and they they did it because look he could have easily said Matt's you know has a, a grade 2 separated shoulder we're going to sit him for a few weeks we're going to play Sam see how that goes um and get Matt healthy he didn't have to say what he said which is he's hurt but he's also you know uh, Sam's going to be the quarterback for the rest of the year. Now, there is the contract think- thing, they, too, that they're trying to, to avoid. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, there is a, a um, guaranteed uh, for injury uh, component of Ryan's contract, which means if he were to get seriously injured playing, they'd be on the hook for a lot more money over the next few years. So I think they were concerned about that, too. But anyway, go ahead. Well, what I would say, I guess, is to push back a little bit. You know, one, Kaepernick was drafted in the second round. Arguably, he was viewed as the heir apparent to Alex Smith, and they didn't, you know, it wasn't just a guy. With, you know, Ellinger is more like a Sam Howe. It's a day three shot in the dark, we'll see. Um, two, I think them saying that Ryan isn't coming back is more to the point of what I'm talking about because there's no possible way anybody over there thinks he's the answer. Impossible. Now he may become the answer, just like we see random, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins, a fourth-round pick, or Tom Brady is the ultimate example. But like, or even you know, Taylor Heineke's been decent, right, as as an undrafted free agent guy who's bounced around. But there's no way they think that Sam Ellinger is the answer. Otherwise, they would have drafted him higher. You know, all those kinds of things. I think they just think that Matt Ryan isn't working, and more to the point, they can keep going down the Matt Ryan route and trudge along and see what happens, or. Kind of like what we've all been, people have been saying here about Sam Howe. At some point, shouldn't you see what you have with this guy? Because then you're going to go into the offseason. A, you'll at least know what you have. It will be recognized we need to do something different. And I think they just decided they're going to do it now. Like, imagine if Matt Ryan was here, right? That's what we're talking about. You think that Ron Rivera would bench him? Hell no. 
they were doing Matt Ryan all the way through because they made the investment in Matt Ryan because uh, you know all that. And by the way, Matt Ryan is still has a contract next year. He, they're they're, they're going to take a big cap hit if they move on from him. Whereas at least with Wentz, you know we know Washington can get out for free. So I, I think they're just saying, look, whatever's going to happen the rest of this year, we're going to see what Ellinger is. We do kind of like him, and more than that, we're, we're not going to pretend that Matt Ryan's going to work. We accept the fact sunk cost, that's not working. Now we have to do something else, and maybe if we bottom out and we get a better pick. I, that's how I, 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 I look at it. I, I don't we, I'll, we just we we disagree on that. I, I and I. By the way, you might be right. I think it's they actually legitimately believe that this is their best chance to win and to compete moving forward. I, I think because if it was about the future, and you said they just did it earlier, you usually don't do it that much earlier when you're three, three and one and a half game out of first place in a division. I, I, I think that that would have been, you know, five weeks from now. Let's see what we have in Sam if we actually think there's something there to look at before we figure out what we're going to do in the off season. Well, uh, well, I, let me ask you this: yeah. do, do you think that based on let's say Carson Wentz is not is not uh, healthy? I mean, it, it's healthy. Sorry. I mean, I would imagine you and I both agree he has not shown enough for us to think that he's the answer long term or for next season. Is that, is that fair? Right. So based on that, if Atlanta, sorry, Atlanta, if the Colts see the same thing. They're doing what we, what a lot of people here just think Washington should be doing themselves, and that is admitting that it didn't work and moving on. But Washington is going to be tied into the idea that, well, we invest, made this investment, and it's a big deal. By the way, here's the other component to this. They have an actual GM in Indy, and they have an owner who, for better or for worse, is involved, um, and he's the, you know, th- that combination is pushing this. Whereas here, I don't really think Dan Snyder is that involved the way people maybe are reporting as such. Not, but more importantly, now, Ron right? Rivera is... Ron Rivera is the GM, too. And he, when I spoke to him about the Carson Wentz 70% snaps thing, um, and you can see this on The Athletic, he said he doesn't think that should matter, or, you know, even if it's, we put it in the contract. That, to me, speaks of a coach who is trying to win the next game. And that's where I'm thinking is, I think, the difference. You're right. I think the Colts recognize Brian's not going to work, so let's go with this kid. And, and he fits more of this mobile quarterback era. I totally agree. But realistically... You know, I mean, Matt Ryan. They beat the Chiefs this year. Matt Ryan's had some good. They, end they of had game won. Stuff. Three, they had won three of four going into Sunday's game at Tennessee. Right. Yeah. Right. I, no, that, I, that, I, I understand that. I, I just, I think the what what makes me believe that they're doing this because they believe right now it gives them the best chance to win is they elevated him a couple of weeks ago. They're in a division that's still completely winnable at 3-3 and 1. They have a bunch of games coming up like it's they I know they play Washington. I think they have uh you know they play a game at New England. I mean, you know, the Patriots, I don't know what the Patriots are. Uh I think they have the Steelers. I, I was looking at it earlier. They 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 probably I just think they feel right now Ailinger gives them their best chance. I mean, I would have never understood that or, or gotten it or knew anything about it last week, but I think this is what they've been thinking, and then Sunday clinched it, you know, with Ryan uh, you know, turning the ball over as many times as he turned it over against Tennessee. He had two picks, and I think he had, you know, I think he had two picks in the game, something like that. He, there, was, there was a pick six, and I think that's that was it. And by the way, was sacked a, a, a number of times. And Tennessee had you know double digit pressures against that offensive line, and they're just like, we can't win with Matt Ryan. He's not mobile enough with this offensive line, and we've got some good players on the team. Let's put the the mobile guy in. He gives us our best chance. I don't know. I could be wrong. That's what I think. I don't think it's just about we've given up on the season, and we're going to see whether or not Ailinger gives us a chance next year or beyond. 
I mean, that you can yeah, do I, both. I don't. Th- I don't think they've. Wait, wait, I don't think they've given up on the season. I'm just saying the easy call is to stay with Matt Ryan. The more complicated call is to go with a, a guy who's never taken a snap and is a sixth round pick last year. Right. And saying, well, let's see. And I think they're saying we'll see. And if it doesn't work. That's fine. We'll be a bottom 10 team. Whereas, like I said here, because even if you stay with Heineke over Wentz, you're still probably going to churn out enough wins to, to avoid being in the top, uh, you know, getting a top 10 pick. And then you're sort of still stuck where they're at. Like right, right now, three and four, I think they have like the 15th pick. <laughs> if yeah. the season ended today. Right. Like that's, you know, we act, we're, we're all acting like they're not great, but they're kind of middle of the pack in this league. And, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about this with the Wizards all the time, too. At some point, if you really – this is how this, these leagues work. If you want the quarterback or you want the potential franchise player in the NBA, you've got to bottom out. It's it, it, That's it. The rest of it is if you're going for the veteran quarterback, what have we seen this year? You go for the veteran quarterback in a trade, you're, 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 you're taking – you know, you're, you're, you're going to the flea market more or less, and you're taking damaged goods and praying you can make it work on some level. And, you know, that, at that, when, when are you going to get off that cycle? I just think the Colts are saying, we're getting off this cycle one way or the other. Either this kid works out or we're going to bottom out and go to the draft. You know, the funny thing is they've gone with sort of that veteran quarterback path here three straight years with Rivers, Wentz, and Ryan. And it hasn't worked with the last two, but it did work with Rivers. You know, they went 11-5, and and they were very close. They had Buffalo on the ropes in that playoff game that they lost 27-24. to And Rivers had a great finish uh, to that year and and, and a good season overall. It doesn't – you know, it's like right now the trend appears as if – you know, and I, I'd have to go back and look at this. Rivers is the, the one that popped into my mind because I'm a huge Philip Rivers fan. But I think that this year is, is, is certainly, you know, it's remarkable that every big veteran trade and or free agent acquisition seems to be not working out. I mean, Marcus Mariota may be the best ad of a veteran quarterback um, from last year. But I don't know if that's a trend. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I do think, let me just tell you this, and I haven't said this on the podcast this week. I do think after watching Sunday Night Football, and I know he had three interceptions, but after watching Kenny Pickett for a full game, I do wish Washington had drafted Kenny Pickett in the first round. Because I think there's something to Kenny Pickett. Um, And that there's something there that looks like it's worth spending some time and being patient with. Uh, well, but, that was the old. I mean, look, P- Pittsburgh did what I, I think a lot of us seem to think Washington might end up doing, which is literally signing Mitch Trubisky to be, or yeah, maybe you didn't have to because you had Heineke, but signing Mitch Trubisky mm-hmm. to be the stopgap and then drafting the quarterback in the first round with Pickett being the one guy. But they obviously by that point had already made the investment and went, gave up picks. And, you know, I, I understand maybe to a degree why you're not going for Kenny Pickett at that moment, but. Uh, but yeah, no, that I mean that would have been the other way um, to go for sure. They they chose one path. The Steelers went the other way. I mean, if you could go back and do that right now, and we don't know anything about Pickett. I understand he's thrown like six picks in 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 two out of his three games. You know, three or three right. three each. I I think right now, if you told me I have a chance to go back and redo the you know trade with New Orleans back to sixteen, I think I would take Kenny Pickett. And I don't know anything about Malik Willis other than I thought he had had some ceiling to him, but I thought Pickett had some ceiling too. Uh, but I, I think I would I would do that and then roll with Taylor and not even worry about Trubisky. 
Um, and then we, you, you just go from there. And when Pickett's ready, you put him in there. Uh, but I would have, I would have also been during the summer saying, if Pickett's not ready to take over for Taylor Heineke really soon, then it might say all you need to know about Pickett. But that's an impatient quarterback take, um, something that Jay Gruden uh, in our last segment on this show um, said, you know, the patience with the quarterback is so important. Look at Geno Smith as an example. All right. Um, what else you got for me? Yeah, no, I just think it's a fascinating deal. And by the way, like one reason I think they couldn't go the Kenny Pickett route, well, maybe he could have gone Pickett, but, you know, Rivera from the moment the season ended last year said basically we're going to get a better quarterback. And a better quarterback isn't going to be definitively starting Taylor Heineke week one. And, yeah, a first-round pick quarterback gives you – you can you sort of tout that. But, you know, I, I don't know if Kenny Pickett was – he's an interesting prospect, but he's not, you know, a screaming obvious guy. And if he was, he wouldn't have fallen all the way to wherever Pittsburgh picked 20 or, or whatever that yeah. was. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's fascinating. We'll see. Um, but, look, I, I, you know, in terms of the short term, you know, the, you know the, I think the, the combination of Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson gives them a, a really solid – and potentially spectacular baseline to go with it every day. And, and we've talked about this for months, that the what they were trying to do when they drafted Brian Robinson was recreate that four-game winning streak last year, and where they ran the ball a lot, controlled the clock, kept their defense fresh. All of that happened in this game, particularly uh, in the second half when Taylor Heineke settled down. And, uh, you know, in the short term, this may be their best bet. Uh, Taylor Heineke is efficient. But, you know, Carson Wentz is not. It, it, Carson Wentz offers more of a big play than Heineke, but Heineke puts the ball in the hands of his playmakers, and uh, good, <laughs> right? Like that—that that was the whole point. Like you—you you have McLaurin and, and all these other guys get them the ball. So I think they did a better job of that, and you know that's why if Heineke can, can keep this up, the other you know interesting thing will be, you know, what does Rivera do at that point? Does he go back to? to Wentz or does he stay with Heineke? And you know, by the way, I would imagine some players on the team. Would would be like, hey, no, 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 stay, stay with number four. But you know, you made the investment in Wentz, and and it's not just about this year; it's next year as well. So that that's where I think all this is going to be so interesting to see what happens over the next two to three weeks while Wentz is out. Is is how they continue to to grow or not, or or does Heineke that first half of Heineke become you know just more of that, and that you know everybody recognizes that can't that can't work. But we'll see. We will see. Uh, it's more interesting heading into this game than it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is good for us. All right, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Ben Standig, everybody, from The Athletic, at Ben Standig on Twitter. Don't forget to listen to his podcast, Standig Room Only. Uh, thanks to Ben. Thanks to Jay Gruden. Back tomorrow with Tommy. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.